Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to discover more through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit, and my name is Aiden. This podcast will serve as a space to exchange ideas from the collective experience. Good morning, everyone. We hope you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Today's guest is Anna Robinson, a successful fitness coach who is one of the most animated and inspiring people that we know. Anna is a Virginia Tech grad, a former studio director of F45 Maniunk, and now a fitness coach at several Orange Theory locations around Philadelphia. In this week's episode, we discuss Anna's coaching purpose of making everybody feel like a somebody and our thoughts on why energy is a currency. We also dive into the role that music plays in fitness, the benefits of hit style training, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode of Discover More with us and Anna Robinson. Hey, Anna. Welcome to the show. How's it going today? Good. How are you guys? Thank you, Ben and Aiden, for having me today. Of course. Yeah, happy to have you here. One thing that we just found out that I think we'd like to jump into was you grew up in England, which I think to myself as well as most members that you had really had no idea. So could you tell us about what that experience was or why you went over to England and what you learned there? So I grew up in Virginia. Um, I was born in Virginia. We, li- we lived there with my, my parents, my mom and my dad and my brother. And my dad had a great job opportunity to work on a startup company in Liverpool, England. And the year before our whole family moved over there with him, he lived in Germany for a year. So it was just my mom raising my brother and I in Virginia. And we eventually wanted to bring the family back together. We moved over to England to be with him and it was meant to be a permanent move. So my parents broke the news to my brother and I at a wedding when I was nine and he was 11 and they just said, we're moving to England. And I remember crying my eyes out because I grew up in a small town. I only knew my friends that I grew up with since preschool. And we had hopes and dreams of going to high school together, middle school together, college, things like that. So to think of permanence like that, somewhere I've never been, in a completely different country was very, very scary. Um, But when we eventually moved over there, I had no choice. So it helped build character for me to be uprooted like that and to work with adversity, go with the flow, go with the waves. So I had to participate in an all girls school. I was a very much a tomboy when I was growing up because my brother, his friends being at my house and we would play football, we would play kickball and I played video games with them and I had girlfriends, but it wasn't like I was the girly girl. I 100% was not. So when I lived in England, I had to be at this all girls private school, very, very privileged background. These families had a lot of money and we were there on a visa essentially like we were there for work so i was a big soccer player um girls didn't play soccer there in 2004 so i had to play netball i had to play field hockey and lacrosse so that was a very cool outlet for me to be a part of those school teams and to also expand my academia privileges. I was taking physics, I was taking chemistry, biology. Um, We were doing like lab experiments that 
the funding at my public school in Virginia would have never provided. Um, so it was an incredible experience learning new languages, Spanish and improving my English, learning French. It was just, it was way more academia focused rather than sports focused in England than it is in the U.S. Like I feel like a lot of people here will be like, all right, well, we don't care how smart you are. How, what's your 40 yard dash time? Like, what's that? So I feel like even though I wasn't the best sports player, it helped me be a little bit more well-rounded to be put in that position of discomfort because change happens where you're uncomfortable. And that's where it helped propel me into building my own character and finding my own passion within fitness. Was it the athleticism or sports that you played in Liverpool that bridged it into fitness? Or I guess one thing that I was kind of thinking through is being thrust into an entirely new environment in a new country. Is that why you're such a people person? That's why I appreciate people to people. And I was bullied while I was there because I was the only American at my school. So they didn't want me to be the popular person and I wasn't trying to be the popular person. I didn't even want to be there. So it was a very emotional two years. Um, but what that helped me allow was an empathy for somebody who's struggling to find a balance in their nutrition and their fitness. And I wanted everybody to feel like a somebody. And that's what I've helped provide in my career within the fitness field for the past decade. Make everyone feel like a somebody and you will feel, you will be and feel successful and proud of what you're doing. And what brought you back over? So you said you spent two years there. You brought this new attitude, being a fighter, back into the U.S. What prompted that change? And where did you find yourself upon moving back? We were able to return back to the States when a company hired my dad again. And after that startup experience, it put him in a better managerial position. Um, so... We had the choice of stay in England or move back to the States. And it just so happened to be back in my hometown, mm -hmm. which was the likelihood of that was like 1%. We had no idea. And what's so funny is my mom wanted to stay in England. She loved the lifestyle. She loved that we were so close to different countries. We could get on a plane for 50 bucks and go to Italy and, you know, see where our family was born and raised, like our ancestors. So that was something that was a very good experience being so close to different cultures and countries. My brother was kind of on the fence. He liked it a little bit more than I did. And he was a little bit older, so he was a little bit more appreciative of it. My dad just wanted to do what we wanted to do at that point since we allowed him to go. He said, what do you guys want to do? I'll stay here. We're away from everybody we know, but we're gonna, we can build a ground here. We can, we can build a family here. And then it just ended up being, you know what, let's, let's bring the kids back to the States. You know, they're about to start middle school and high school and we want them to go to university somewhere, you know, back with their friends and back in Virginia with a lot of good public schools. Where did you land on that? Were you eager to come home? I was so eager to come home. Now that I'm older, there were a lot of positive experiences from it that I look back and didn't appreciate then. But I think that I had such a difficult time with the bullying that, and the school environment because it was year round schooling, which was cool because you didn't have a big long summer where you're bored out of your mind. You were all constantly stimulated by 
two weeks off to get a break and then you're back on. And then there was like a month off for Christmas where we came back to the States to visit friends and family, go back to England. There was a lot of good middle of the ground breaks. It wasn't just big summer break, work as hard as you can for 180 days. So I think I learned a lot more with that, but I think that I was about to be 12 at that point. And a 12 year old is just not the same as what I am now at almost 25. So I think that I was thinking more of myself at that point. Like I was just kind of over it, tired of it after two years. It's interesting because hindsight always makes sense once you're on the other side of the experience, right? Like you can probably only talk to that experience now when you've had 10 years to reflect on it, Mm -hmm. what it's done for you, what you've learned. But at the time, you don't have that mindset about the specific instance. Um, It's just almost a conscious effort to remind yourself that, hey, I'm going to appreciate this lesson in a year when it's actually happening. Yeah. Like that's specifically a big way that I kind of will deal with problems or challenges that I'm facing is like reminding yourself the growth is going to happen once you have time to reflect on it. So that's really interesting. That, yeah. You know, and we're so much more mature now. And I'm sure you guys have similar experiences with that when you're younger and you're not as developed. You don't think five years out, 10 years out. But now it's like you have to grow. And now that you you appreciate those different things. So that makes sense. Yeah. And especially as adolescents, you like biologically lack the neurological aspects. You have their perspective. Like they're literally incapable of thinking ahead because they're your kid. Yep. And I also reflect, I can relate so much because when I reflect on my child, adolescent years, it's a profound privilege to travel to all these countries, living in all these countries with my parents, and we'll do like our recreational annual travel every summer to go somewhere exotic. And I remember I would grunt and I was like, mom, I'd rather stay home, play on my Game Boy. I remember the see-through Game Boy I've ever had. Was that one of like the more bougie models back in the day? (laughs) Because it's crazy because... Like, I think over 80% of the Americans have never uh, landed on a, a plane before. They've never gotten on a plane. They've never been to a different country or even other side of the country because U.S. is such a vast landscape. And you had this privilege, of course, to hop on an airplane for $50 to ha- have gelato from Rome mm-hmm. in Italy, right? And then fly back the same day or take a train to Paris or to Germany because the metro system, everything is so interconnected in, in, in Europe and England, of course. So, of course, I feel like looking back, it, you feel like you miss out so much, but it's, you know, I feel like everything has its own timeline. Every chapter offers its own unique insights. So, 100%. but, but it's, it's awesome that you as an American were able to experience that British culture. Yeah. Because, you know, U- U.S. was part of Britain to begin with. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So what did you jump into upon returning to the States? Was that back into high school or then did that bring you into your college experience so it was 2007 when we got back and i was a seventh grader um so i had missed the end of elementary school and the beginning of middle school and what was so shocking when i returned was a lot of my girlfriends started dating guys and like when i was in england we were at an all-girls school and we barely had any sort of like quote-unquote functions with the guy's school and i wasn't even in that mindset Um, so I was just trying to find my own happiness within that new environment that I was plugged into. But when I came back to the States, I was still in the mindset of like, I get my girlfriends back again. I get my guy friends back again, but now they're almost like starting their romantic relationships ahead of me with other guys, other girls, et cetera. So that was something that was interesting in seventh grade 
being plugged back in. And of course, like some of my ride or die girls, like they know who they are. If they're listening, they will know who they are. But I lost some friendships when I came back. So then that was another challenging aspect of, all right, I'm back in my small town in Virginia. Here we are. But now so-and-so is completely absorbed with the boyfriend that's going to break her heart in a year. And it's just like, I just wasn't interested in that. So I was able to be back with a lot of my good guy friends, a lot of my good girlfriends. And I was able to meet a lot of new friends upon my return that I didn't know because they didn't go to my elementary school because our middle school encompassed a lot of different elementary schools that, you know, filtered into that area. And especially the fact that it's a fifth to seventh grade jump. My one good friend is a teacher and he said that sixth grade timeline is when you see the most significant change in students in you know, family members, whoever it is, that fifth to seventh grade jump, you're going through maturity and you're yeah. learning kind of the transition from childhood to at least starting to get into adulthood. Exactly. So I'm sure that must have been a really challenging and almost thrust into a new environment yeah. on the front and back side of it, right? Exactly. Yeah, because right before puberty, we were moving to England and they have so many different cultures and different happenings with healthcare and things like that. And then you come back to the States and now I'm getting even more into adolescence, but I had to grow up way quicker than my friends who were just chilling for two years. I mean, I'm not saying they were chilling, but you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's not every day that somebody gets uprooted like that to move internationally without even like a military background. You go into a, you go into like an American school if you're in the military. Um, so that way you have some similarities, some constants, but this was, you have to learn their accent and they talk very quickly. They have, they have the slang and everything like that. And then the teachers, whenever we would go over history classes would start to look at me when it was like, different American happenings hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Like, bro, you're trying to come at me right now? Like, that's not, that's not my fault what happened then. Um, so there was just so, so many different gotcha moments that I look back at. But once I was back in middle school, I started to get in my sink again. I was able to participate in the sports that I had known and loved since I was five years old. I mean, I was in shin guards and a soccer ball kicking around at five years old in Curtin. Like I was back in soccer again. That was my first love. And then I was able to join the volleyball team with a lot of my good friends. So that all went well. And then it was almost like, this is my next chapter. High school was great. And that's where I really found my passion within fitness was in high school. A lot of the off season trainings, I would help organize like different uh, lifting workouts preseason in the winter before our spring soccer season in Virginia. It was spring was soccer, fall was volleyball, and sometimes it flips depending on where you are in the States. But winter was a time for me to really get strong. And I was a defender. I needed to be like the wall with our defense. So that's kind of where I started leading like different exercises like people would be like Anna let's do your ab like Anna's abs routine and that's where I started finding a passion with connecting music with repetitions and and kind of the cadence as you go through the workouts so that's kind of like where I found my launch with fitness as a starting point did you have a six-pack back then Ooh, I was so lanky um I was I think I was skinny strong but now I am I very much have worked on my body and my nutrients. And now I view my appearance as this is for performance. Like I love running. I love lifting. I love rowing. I love 
just being in that hour. And even though my full-time job is coaching, I need to take care of myself as well in the mix every day. And I love being able to participate in workouts for myself as well. Um, and it's so fun to do it with members around you because they'll be like, oh man, I don't want to be running this 5k next to Anna right now on this treadmill. Like she's going to outrun me, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm, I'm in here with you. I'm going to give you that high five at the end. We're going to get through this together. And then you gain a better appreciation for your members looking up to you. Like, oh, she's one of us. Like she's working on herself too. Yeah, we're the polar opposite because I tell people my aesthetics, physique is only for show. No. I have absolutely no functionality attached to my physique. But uh, no, I, I, I could applaud and I could vouch because I, of course, attended one of your fitness experiences. But I'd like to go back and talk more about your family because sure. I think the family dynamic and what the function of the family does to you really fascinated me. Because when I examine a lot of my successful friends, including Aiden, we all grew up with an extremely nurturing and loving family environment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what par our parents and our family do for us really pave a long road to our success in perpetuity, right? And of course, when we're adolescents, we, you don't fully understand, appreciate the full scope of what the profound role that your family plays in your life. And but it sounds like you, you talked about how all your family members are engineers, your parents are engineers. They both seem ex extremely intellectually successful and career-wise successful. And you talked about how your parents are fully supporting of you and your passion in sports. Yeah. But I like to touch on that for a little bit because for them being so academia focused mm -hmm. and they're hardwired uh, brainies, right? They're engineers. Mm -hmm. How did they first perceive your this full dive passion into fitness? And were there any setbacks or any pushback from your families? And just talk about your overall family dynamic in terms of your passion. They have been 100% supportive of my love of fitness and pursuing my passion. Um, once my mom saw how much I loved the group exercise environment and she knew when I was going to apply for university settings, she knew I wanted to study exercise science of some capacity. So I looked at all the programs. I looked at all the different coursework that you needed in the four years for undergrad and what those years could lead to in a career. And I, they saw me light up. They said, that's her. That's what Anna should do. She's the extroverted one. She is smart in academia settings, but she doesn't want to do school the whole time. Like she'll get through it because she's strict, but she needs to do something that's more fun, that makes her come alive. And we want her to pursue her passion. So they were help pushing me to go towards that route. They never, they never treated it like, oh, Anna, you should steer away from that. Like, is there any money in that field? Um, they were more in the sense of you make yourself successful by working hard, putting in the time, putting in the education and getting those certifications. And let's see where it goes. Like, let's make your life. Your life is in front of you. What are you going to do with it? So that helped be a catalyst for me in being 100% into it. And once I got accepted in Virginia Tech, um, I started doing a lot of my own personal research, self-study of what type of group exercise environments can I be a coach in? What does it require certification-wise? Do I need to get CPR AED certified? What's the rules on this? So I dove right into it. I started emailing professors within certain departments. Hey, my name is like cold calling people figuring out what I needed to do. And then they're like, here's what you need to do. Here's your study material. You can take an elective within your degree with this. 
let's fit in like a two hour course for the semester. Then you can take your exam at the end and we can audition you for different positions. So my first love was cycle because my mom took me to one of her indoor cycling classes with coach Deborah, and I'll never forget her. I remember crying my eyes out when she left that specific gym. But when I was 14 years old in high school, my mom would take me to the gym as like her guest during off season when I wasn't doing practices in the morning or at night. And I thought it was so fun to ride indoor. Like it's, you have to be a certain kind of person. Like how can you make an environment so electric and so the ultimate experience when the bike's not even moving? You're just, you're stationary, but your mind is constantly moving. Your body is moving to the beat. And that's what I fell so in love with. So then I started propelling into um, Club Cycle, which was at Virginia Tech. My mentor, Jordan Hill, um, he was a graduate professor and our age gap was at least like seven to eight years. And he took me under his wing and I was his mentee. And he passed me the torch when he graduated and moved back to Colorado and said, you're the Club Cycle leader and it's your turn to hire new cycle instructors that can handle this format, the intensity, the music, passion. So think of like, an EDM concert when the DJs are just leaning back, like feeling the music, arms out wide, closed eyes, sweating your ass off. And that's who I was on the podium. That's who I was as an instructor. So you had to create an environment where people are not looking at the clock. When is this class gonna be over? They wanna be like, it's over already. When's the next one? When are you teaching next? So that's what propelled me into that field in hand in hand with my degree. That was my outlet. So that was, really the catalyst of it how did you how did you create environments like that i mean outside of your you know banging spotify playlists like hey. I know those things are <laughs> how else did you create that kind of environment that people wanted to be there had the same members coming back and forth like it seemed like it was a pretty high standard or a you know new position to jump into and maintain that or you had to maintain that energy that that jim was known for for so long how did you really foster that environment going forward the way that i fostered the environment was i view energy as a currency and energy is a choice how are you going to spend your energy and no matter if i had a biochemistry exam the next day that i was stressing about or if my anatomy lab exam where i had to know every single bone or muscle in the body whatever was going on in my own personal life my own educational life that hour I needed to be the provider and those clients needed me and I needed them because they helped me create such a strict regimen of when am I going to class today? When do I have time to study? When do I have time to eat, pack my bag, go to the gym, teach a class, study again. It was around the clock. I used to be such a night owl when I was in college because I had to be with, I was working two jobs. I was working full, I was a full-time student every single semester. So between 15 to 21 hours a semester of really hard science classes that I'm like, when am I ever gonna use this? I don't wanna be a doctor, but it was pretty much a pre-med track, but I knew I had to do it for the exercise science background of it. So I view energy as a choice and I want to make sure everybody feels like a somebody. And that is so profound in my mission and my values because not everybody is going to be an energizer bunny like me and not everybody is going to be the physique I am and just the kind of genuine authenticity I bring, nobody else can bring because I own my own uniqueness. 
However, I want to get the shy girl in the back of the bike to move up to the front row and embrace her inner beast, her inner athlete. So I started creating a community and brand awareness of come one, come all. When those doors close and you're in this room, you are unchaining yourself of any responsibility that you are going through right now and any stress that you're going through. I need you to release yourself and be here for you. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of that project you're working on. You can't take care of your family or meet the expectations of your partners and your relationships. You have to fill your cup. And that was every hour or 45 minutes, no matter how long those classes were, and the prep behind it where I would listen for hours to music and how can I organize the set list of this after this and what's the choreography? Are we gonna be sprinting this interval? Is it gonna be a hill climb with the lights off? I was thinking of so many different environmental cues of how to tap into people's emotions because when you emotionally invest in somebody and into a group of individuals, they will trust you more and when you make those connections, they're with you for life and they'll always remember you. So how are you gonna be remembered is how I best go through it. And that's how I act every day. That's so well said. A big thing that I've recognized is that, or I guess heard is memories are created through emotion. So it's not that you remember a specific site, it's how you remember how it made you feel, which coming full circle to where we met at F45, like that's crucially the reason I kept coming back and I know why so many of the members kept coming back you know it was a emotional community of just everyone going after it together you know whether you're not sure of say it's a new movement you're not sure how that exercise works but everyone's learning it together and coaches are learning together Um, it's really that emotional connection that I guess yields the community so well said yeah I completely agree and to both of your points amazing story because it sounds like you as the head coach as the the circuit class leader that your mentor designated to be you're not seeking out to simply providing an event you're not simply hosting an event but rather you're providing a co-creating experience right it's not you're not you're not an event provider you're an experience provider mm-hmm. and you sought to co-create the experience with the members because like you talked about how energy is your currency and just for the listeners out there, I just want to tell them that how animated Anna is. Oh She's definitely God. the most animated person that we've ever had on the show, which is amazing. Thank you, Ben. And how you talk, you talked about your parents told you that you can, they can see the passion in your eyes. Mm-hmm. In this sense, literally your eyes spark up when you talk about these things, even though this was from years ago in your college days. So I do want to acknowledge how animatedly excited and energetic you are. And I talk, but I love that how energy is your currency because... From my experience, we can talk more about this in depth later, about your F45 experience as a head coach, as a general manager, as a person who built everything from ground up, literally, right? But Aiden and I, we met in the gym, and like I told you before, and everyone, my physique serves no functionality at all. Like I'm strong, I, I, I've been working out, I've, I'm athletic, I play varsity sports before, but my passion really is in the cardio aspect, mm-hmm. because I just, I don't know, cardio is boring for me. I could play flag football or play basketball for hours, but I'm not a treadmill person. Of course, hit is a more fun and different variation into the cardio mix, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. But when I first came to an Aiden, and I, we, we, we did a few physical events together. We ran a Christmas light uh, that I might partake again this year. It was just like 5K, right? Mm-hmm. And he brought me into the hit training with you on a Saturday. 
And that meant I didn't have to drink or I make sure I didn't drink as much as the night before because I know how out of shape I am and I'm extremely out of shape. But I remember first thing I came into it was the experience piece, the emotional connection that Aiden alluded to is you walk in, you have this extremely uh, illuminated space with everyone and everyone's getting ready, even though it's mad early on a Saturday morning because most yeah. people go out on Friday night. I remember you perceived me, you, in, you intaking us and it was like a very seamless transition. But the one thing that I noticed right away and felt was the energy piece. I really, really felt the energetic, illuminating space, the setting that I felt. And I was like, wow, uh, this seems fun, right? Even before even start the events. And the sun, that's what you worked on, trying to find craft that skill of how to make a seemingly just stale and still space to seem illuminating, seem ex- exciting, seem energetic. So not 100%. I, I felt it personally. Yeah, so. thank you. I guess as we're starting to talk through F45, I think that's a pretty crucial part of your journey or big piece. This was your first or second job following college? This was my second job. Second job. So there was college. a start, a stint at Orange Theory. Would you like to talk about that or jump right into F45? I'll touch base on Orange Theory first um, because that's kind of propelled me where I am now Absolutely. as well in, in a lot of my life transitions. Orange Theory was just an Indeed application I saw online when a lot of my fellow classmates were moving on to DPT school and PA school, med school, and my major was so science-driven that a lot of those prerequisite courses were able to launch you into further schooling. However, I was pretty burnt out. I didn't want to continue schooling at the time, and I'm not closing that door at all because I've been looking at like master's programs, things like that. But at the time, I knew I wanted to start working. I wanted to start building my own life and my own career right off the jump at 22. So I had a lot of friends within the Northern Virginia region and the Washington DC region, Um, a lot of good networking connections from Virginia Tech Rec Sports and just my H&FE degree, that area. Um, So I saw an application for Orange Theory Fitness. I did a lot more research on it. And I was personally never a big fan of treadmill running. Um, I was into cycling for sure and body pump, which is a 1000 rep hour class of lifting from head to toe each Music track targets a different part of your body, like the back track, the chest track, legs, lunges, you know, things like that. So I was so used to those type of formats, but once I saw the potential of the cardiovascular component, the strength component, and how you can totally increase your metabolism with this type of workout. I view Orange Theory as the multivitamin of what your body needs of any age, any gender, any athletic ability that you are in right now. Our job in that coaching position is to enhance your life where you are right now because there's no fad diet that's going to work and there's no fad workout that's going to work. Consistency leads to long-term success. Um, So once I saw the potential of that, I applied, got a phone call from Carrie Johnson. Um, She was so eager to meet me. Um, My brother lived in Arlington, Virginia at the time, so I was able to stay with him and go and do these interviews within Orange Theory in DC during the summer after graduation. The interview went great and she saw my certifications. I met all the requirements plus some. And then she said, here's our microphone audition. 
come through. Let's let's see who you are on the mic. And she gave me a script. Since it's a franchise, you have to kind of follow the corporate background just to make sure from studio to studio that it's seamless of the, you know, the, the workout at hand. And so I absolutely killed the microphone audition from my experience with Virginia Tech Rec Sports. I was coaching four to five classes a week minimum, um, sometimes even more in school. So that helped me become my natural self on a microphone leading and conducting fitness classes even when i'm on the microphone working out with them i can't get breathless because i have to command the stage so it was a lot of multitasking and i got to thank all my mentors from virginia tech my my classmates people with me um even just the fellow instructors and those that were more in the managerial position of virginia tech rec sports they helped create the anna that i am right now Um, And they helped gave me the learning tools to be very successful within this industry. So Orange Theory, once I started working there, it was a startup gym. So people knew what the brand was. This was in 2017. There was a lot of different marketing within the U.S. It was starting to become very popular. So after pre-sales, you know, what is Orange Theory? Here's the founder's rate where you can save 20 to 30, maybe 50 bucks a month. If you buy into it before we open, we won't charge you till we open. There was a lot of different sales components. But the biggest thing that I learned was I'm being thrown into a new environment again. This was a part of DC that I had no friends in. A lot of my friends were in Northern Virginia and this was a very well-to-do Tenley Town, Washington, DC. That's where American University is. There's a lot of, you know, Microsoft, Geico. There's just a lot of different Chevy Chases right there. A lot of good companies there, very prestigious clients. So I knew my customer service skills had to be 100% every single day because you weren't just getting college students that were like, ah, whatever, like, this is fine, you know, let me just get through this hour. This was people paying 200 bucks a month and they needed to find that experience. So within my team, my original coaches there, my original staff, the owners are still there. They're on their third studio now. Like Ben was saying, you can have a space, but how are you going to illuminate it? How are you going to bring your energy to the table every day? What's going to be the difference between this orange theory and the one on 14th street or the one on capitol hill h street like what's going to be the difference about this one so that was so such a good experience in my year out of school doing what i love teaching a format that was amazing i loved the workouts myself so i was living and breathing what i was preaching and it really helped me when my boyfriend was still at Virginia Tech and we were doing distance and it gave me that outlet to really enjoy what I was doing when I was when we weren't with each other. And he was still finishing up his studies with accounting and finance. Like we're two completely different people, but that helped bridge the gap there with Anna's happy, this is good. When we see each other, we're happy, there's no tension, things like that. So I mean, coming up on four years later, we're still together. So it's like I thank Orange Theory for giving me that experience physical and emotional help but also even just the the how renowned it is as a company was able to get me the startup position at f45 in philadelphia where i wanted to be could we provide a little bit more context so i at first came of awareness of orange theory fears back mm-hmm. and i thought at the time i thought it was like a laughable idea where you pay a tremendous amount of money to cycle and listen to a, a person telling you what to do mm-hmm. where you could do that on your own time so i never bought into that idea but of course like you said i think it's interesting to see a lot of hits movements have been uh on the rise for the past few years i'd say in the past five years before that i don't remember seeing or hearing anything about hits there's crossfit was like the poster child for the hit movement right right of course crossfit came with a lot of stigma because some crossfit are just very up your face 
And so could you tell us a little bit more about what the Orange Theory model is and what HIT entails and how are those beneficial to some of the listeners out there may not be aware of the HIT industry or the space? Yeah, so Orange Theory takes in all levels and ages. We can really accommodate for the individual within those classes each hour. All of the trainers are at least personal trainer certified, um, and a lot of us have group certificates as well just to be able to accommodate to the group environment. It's very different than one-on-one training. You're not only dealing with, you're not dealing with one person in the class, you could deal with up to 36 people per hour, and you could be working a block where you're teaching three to four classes in a row, Um, and all those classes can be really packed with different people with injuries, pregnancies, diabetes. How are we going to adjust to somebody on the treadmill, the rower, and the floor. And you have to take a look at these different exercises that Orange Theory is wanting you to conduct in the workout. And what if somebody has a rotator cuff injury and they can't do that full thruster press? So you have to be on the fly, ready to go to give options and modifications. So within the hour, you're going to be very metabolically charged. You don't have to be a runner to be in there. We have bike, we have strider, and we have power walking options as well. In case you have any injuries with your joints, maybe you have osteopenia or osteoporosis and you have very brittle bones and the impact doesn't feel good. All of the intervals are very short intervals. Like Ben was saying, HIIT training is high intensity, high intensity interval training. So you're not doing something more than about a minute. Um, it's ever changing peaks and valleys of intensity. And we have different themes, essentially different focuses. A day could be for endurance, strength, power, or all three ESP. So that way, when you go into it, an endurance day, you may be doing longer rows, like 600 meters, maybe up to a thousand meters and certain sets on the floor. Your rep range is higher on the weight floor, so you're not grabbing the biggest weights in the room. And on the treadmill, you may be doing three minute pushes and one minute all outs, which are very uncomfortable and your heart rate is getting closer to its max. So it's a lot of peaks and valleys, differences like that, power days, you're doing a lot of 30 second efforts, 30 second rest on and off. And strength days, you're grabbing those heavy weights for deadlifts, chest press. So it's it's to be invited by everybody. Um, and I think it is a good, resource for everybody whether you're in a suburban setting or a city setting these studios are all over the country there's over like 1300 in the u.s it is the most popular one hour fitness workout in the world um so it is that way because of the structure in the ownership the management the sales associates that are answering the phone every day booking new intros into classes and the rock star team of coaches which are the face of the company and so I knew that that would look well for me because it was such a popular brand in our country in the sense of I want to be the best coach I can be possibly and I need to be in the right environment. So I hope that best answers your question about kind of what it is, what it can offer to clients. Yeah, most definitely. Because it sounds like it's that experience both in the wide range of experience of exercise, right? So you said it's the multivariable for nearly anyone where they're at. Do you think it's that variety of the different exercises? Like everyone's, I think a big thing when you go to the gym, a lot of people do the same things over and over and over again, the same things that they're good at, the same they just kind of get stuck in their same method of training. And I think a big thing that HIT training does is it pushes you outside of your comfort zone and kind mm-hmm. of forces you to embrace that variety, right? Because with I've done a few handful of Orange Theory classes and every single one's different. Everything's changing. Like you said, it's endurance, power, and strength, mm-hmm. right? So do you think it's that variety that ultimately drives the benefit 
of it? Yeah, it's so beneficial to get out of your comfort zone. And our role in those classes and in every studio in the world is to strengthen your strengths and strengthen your weaknesses. Like, what do you think are your self-imposed weaknesses? You're going to be put into an environment where you have the motivation and energy of a group and loud music and inspiring and animated coaches who are right there with you in those classes when they're not working. And you got to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. So you don't, you don't have time during your sets to check your phone. It's completely, you are so invested for that full 55 minute class. And you have no time to think about anything else. And I think that's the beauty of it is you're being challenged aerobically, anaerobically, your strength, whether you're in there to lose 50 pounds or whether you're in there to gain weight, we can do that. And so I think that's what's so great about the variety of space. And that is what it makes it so beneficial is you don't know what to expect when you come in. It's a new workout every single day. And you're not going to do the same floor exercises. You'll be using the TRX. You'll be using the ab dolly, the BOSUs, the benches, dumbbells. You have a water rower, you have a treadmill, but you're doing something completely different in those interval bouts. So it just keeps it very vibrant and very um, client focused on what you want to get out of it. Mm. I think a lot of group fitness and training classes uh, come with like a test perception or misconception that it's hard to individualize each experience because it's a group collective effort sure. it's a, a collective experience so whenever you're designing those blocks of classes or whether it's a corporate model however that may be how are you ensuring that each individual with higher skill sets are be able to maximize on their outcome versus people with rotator cuff problems they talked about or pregnancy problems how are you because i feel like in a lot of group settings the coach or the the destiny of that setting inevitably cater towards the bottom to ensure that the bottom and everyone can uh, finish the experience, right? So mm-hmm. how are you individualizing that to make sure that every client gets the maximum and the most optimal training to be done? I like to get very one-on-one level with my clients and I love that our microphones have a mute option because I can mute the mic. I put the treads into an effort. It could be a minute, maybe 90 seconds. And that gives me time to look at the floor and be like, Who needs my attention right now? Who's really unsafe right now? Let me go fix their form. Or let me go look at this athlete who was an ex-track athlete in college. He's a successful accountant in Philly. All right, let me go over to him. I, I think you could add a plyometric movement to that. So I can really cater to the individual without even singling them, singling them out. It'd be like, okay, Aiden, you're very strong in this movement. Let me get, let me add that plyometric push-up aspect to it. Try at least two to five reps like that, continue normal form in the push-up. Or I go over to Stacy that is in her second, maybe third trimester of pregnancy. Hey, let's avoid that single leg V up on your back. Let me flip you over to your front so we can work your core in a plank. So that way the baby and you are safe. Those were two completely different interactions and that was all off the microphone within that minute, the treads are mindlessly going through their effort and focusing on their form. So I think that during those hours that I'm coaching, I'm so happy I'm not taking the workout because I have to be so stimulated the entire time of, you know, correcting, commending, congratulating, you know, you don't want to always just be like, Hey, fix this. Hey, fix this. Hey, fix this. You want to be like, wow, Ben, that's an awesome form. Is that, are those heavier weights that you're picking up today? High five. Nice job. And that gives you that accountability like, wow, is Anna noticing my speed increases, my incline increases, my dumbbell choices, my range of motion? Maybe my clothes look a little bit baggier on me. Are you losing weight? Like, is that what you want? That's cool. So 
there's just so many things that keep me so stimulated at work that I 100% would never do a desk job. I don't know how I would because I'm just so energy driven and I'm, I just, I love this field. I'm so passionate about it and I'm so happy that my full-time commitment is coaching. It's just, it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels so much, it feels so fun and so fulfilling. And I think that I'm trying to inspire whoever's listening to go after your passion, find your strengths and see if you can make a career out of that. And you will be financially and emotionally successful if you commit to it 100%. Like don't half-ass it, go into it, dive right into it, find your resources, find your networking. And even if you need to reach out to people like us, we, this is what we love to do. You know, this doesn't feel like work for us. We wouldn't be here talking right now on a Sunday. We're doing this because we want to educate each other, learn from each other and help those in the public that are listening. Yeah, it sounds like successful coaches have this innate ability, yourself included, to have the first person perspective, but also the area view, the bird eye view, right? Yeah. That because a lot of nuances are displayed through different clients' movements and motions. So it's awesome that you are able to cater to individual level at the same time ensuring the overall collective experience. So no, that's awesome. And I think a big thing with finding your passion and being a coach is kind of why you do it. I guess the start with why kind of purpose and reason for giving all of your efforts to this specific cause. What initially attracted you to fitness and having that as your passion? I guess your preliminary why and then how has that evolved over the last couple of years? So I feel like with a lot of professions, people are like, I like this because I help people. And like, yeah, you can help in a lot of positions, nurses, doctors, fitness professionals, health coaches, things like that. But for me, my passion was I want to provide the ultimate experience. And that takes a lot of outside dedication with how I command the stage, what inspirational, not cheesy quotes am I going to think in my head? Like, I don't want to be sounding like an audio tape when I'm coaching and I don't want to be like one minute push three two one go I want to get in their face like think of this as the last effort what do you have one percent more left in you three two one let's go like turn the music up make that place light up fireworks is what I view it as and this type of job this type of career enabled me to get people that don't like fitness to like fitness because of the group setting, because of who is your leader in the pack, but you want to make everybody feel like a somebody, like I said, right? So how are you going to get everybody invested in this? They got to trust you. And I like that challenge. I think that if I were to ever sit by a desk and do anything online, my Times New Roman will look like your Times New Roman. And who's who? You, you don't know who's, who's who. So... That's why I love the authenticity of this job is, yes, coaches are teaching off the same template because that's our corporate job. That's what we're supposed to do. But what flavor are you going to bring to it? What energy are you going to bring to the table? And I have so much inspiration from Washington, D.C. and from Philadelphia. These coaches around me help me love it even more because I'll take their classes and I'll be like, ooh, I like what Amir did. Hope you're listening, Amir. I like what, you know, Dagmar did and she's my boss at, in Langhorn and I'm a part of these three different studios and there's such different vibes that each get brought to, but I want to shine my own light and one of my tattoos is shine your light and that's what I intend to do everywhere I go, every interaction I have, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, 
is be the better person, be the bigger person and help others shine their light, find their potential and find their pursuit of happiness. Why would, why else would we be here if we're not happy? And that's what I want to try to drive my message for the rest of my life. It sounds like we could do a mic drop right now, but we're going <laughs> to continue on to extract more volumes from you. So Anna, I want to ask you a question and that question will act as a segue into the next part of your life, which is at 45. Mm -hmm. So of course, Orange Theory is a very catchy name, right? But what is the actual Orange Theory? Do you, would you know? Yeah. So the Orange Theory is we train in five heart rate zones and zones three, four, and five are the main zones that we train in. Essentially, we take your age from your contact form and we input a logarithm of what is your estimated max heart rate. And then after you take 20 classes, we can better cater it to you. Like somebody who has a lower resting heart rate won't earn as many of those zones four and five minutes as they would as somebody with a no more normalized resting heart rate for their age. So long story short, the green zone is where you want to spend the most time. And we wear heart rate monitors that are posted on the TVs in front of the cardio side of things, the treadmills and the rowers. On the weight floor, it's not focusing on heart rate as much. It's focusing on form and strength. So we don't want you to be like, why am I in the gray and the blue zone? Why am, is it e easy to breathe over here? Because you're not sprinting right now. Like you're, you're lifting and you're being metabolically charged in that sense. So zone three is basically 71 to 83% of your max heart rate. So that's where you want to spend the most time in your hour. Anywhere like 25 to 35 minutes is good. Zones four and five. Zone four is the orange zone. So that's where you're in your anaerobic zone, the fat burning stage. So you're feeling a little bit more breathless. You're feeling pretty uncomfortable, but it's not going to be more than like two minutes, 30 seconds, somewhere in that time range. So 84% to 91% of your max heart rate. Sometimes you creep into zone five, which is the red zone we don't ever coach to get into red um but that's usually your body's response of holding on to that orange zone that uncomfortable feeling so that's anywhere 92 percent to 100 percent plus of your max heart rate sometimes when you're doing more of a really lofty endurance effort maybe it's the mile benchmark that we do certain templates you're gonna have people that are holding 10 miles per hour for five minutes and you your body will respond by holy shit, this is really hard. I'm really uncomfortable, but as long as you're in control, hang on to it. Obviously, we don't want people pushing past limits of nausea, dizziness. Like we obviously coach back on that to control. You know, you have to listen to your body first and foremost, but we will foster that environment. If you get 12 or more minutes in the orange and red zone, those are your splat points, quote unquote. So the splat mark that you see on the trademark of Orange Theory is the theory that the orange zone is where the change occurs, where you're uncomfortable, you're going to feel that, that effort and you will continue to burn calories about 10 to 20% extra in the next 24 to 36 hours. So you start to see an overlap of your metabolism. It starts to speed up. Um, we've had clients that have been severely overweight with sleep apnea. They're off of their breathing machines at night in a year. Um, so people get off of medications by this workout. So it helps metabolically reset and recharge you to be your, the best version of yourself and to take on that next challenge. Um, so that's basically what it's about with the heart rate technology paired with the exercise science driven templates. And then the inspiring coaches are the last piece of, is it going to be a model that works for you? Yeah. When I first saw the name, I thought it was like the fruit orange theory and yeah. I was curious <laughs> of what that entailed. Yeah. So thank you we'll for the explanation. <laughs> Of course, you carry and embody such a profound and encompassing experience from Orange Theory. And I'm sure the next 
a venue and your next transition to your next career, whatever that job may be, I'm sure they must have been appreciative of you, right? So could you tell us about that experience and the chapter of your life and how you grew professionally and as a person afterwards? Orange Theory was my platform for my big girl job, like my first gig outside of college. And I wasn't just coaching to my colleagues, my, my college students, staff members, undergraduate professors, etc. Now it was, I'm coaching to lawyers and political heads and doctors and nurses and even some college students from American University. So it enabled me to even sharpen my my character in the sense, like it wasn't all horseplay. Like a, a lot of what I do is I'm like, you can't take everything too, too seriously. You, you have to have fun with it. So this was more of create a fun environment and outlet a resource for somebody, but they are in there and that's the only hour that they have in their day. It's 5 a.m. and then they have a 12 hour work day after that. So it was different than the college students coming in hungover on a Saturday than like these are real working professionals making six figures and they're coming into your 5 a.m. class and if you don't perform, they're never returning. So and we got paid off of certain price brackets of how many people are in your class. So I had that intensity and that motivation of, I have a choice in how much money I make in this format. I need to pack my classes. How am I going to pack my classes? Who am I going to be? So it helped me bring out my own individuality and my authenticity, which I hold myself very, very accountable to. And I don't even try to copy anyone. I just try to be the better version of myself. Um, so that enabled me with the startup pressures and working in a city. Um, I knew I, I really wanted to stick with Orange Theory after I knew I wanted to move to Philadelphia, but it wasn't available for me at the time and I didn't want to wait around and wait for my future. So then I saw the posting for F45. They're looking for a dual studio manager and head trainer. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot of responsibility, making good money, you're on salary, like full-time job, that sounds pretty good. Um, so then I applied to it and the owner called me two days later and said, where do you live right now? When are you visiting? Why are you coming to Philadelphia? Made my visit. And after our interview, four hours later, he offered me the job on the spot. Out of all the different in people he interviewed, he said nobody matched to the level of potential that I had or the amount of energy that I had that he knew would work well within the Manion Philadelphia region, as well as just the how taxing and intense this type of job has to be in that dual role component. So that's kind of how it led me there. So were you the first hire at this studio? And then was he hiring the people, the other trainers? Or was as studio manager, were you also in charge of building the team uh, within the studio? Right. So I was the first hire. And then we would work hand in hand with the different startup pressures, working with contractors and making sure that the drywall was put, being put up correctly. Uh, is the spacing of the studio right? Are these anchor hooks for the battle ropes in the right location? What's the concrete under the flooring? Is it cracking? Like there was just a lot of stuff we went through the past, the six months before we opened, I got hired. So that was a crucial six months before we could even open the polish doors to the public. So if I wasn't in the studio working with contractors and the owner, then I was on the phone doing sales calls to potential generated leads. What is F45? And I had to convince them to buy into it before we even opened when it was the first F45 within our region. 
And unlike Orange Theory, which is popular, like, oh, wow, I'm going to snag that good deal. You don't even have to convince me. I'm going to do it. My friends do it. This was, so you're telling me, and I had to deal with different people here. Like Philadelphia has its own authenticity as well. So me being a nomad coming here, I had to learn how to change my sales tactic that was so easy to sell higher uh, price packages in DC because it was wealthier. Here, it's not as wealthy. So then I had to convince the owner, we need to cut back on these prices, still make it effective of you get the personal training concept within a group environment and we're gonna be a prestigious gym in this area and there's not a training experience like this in Maniunk. There's only Planet Fitness down the road and that was it. Or like a bar studio or yoga and that's a completely different environment than HIT. So I had to change my sales tactic of, hi stranger, my name is Anna Robinson. I'm the studio manager at 45 Training Maniac. How are you today? Oh, you're not interested? Okay, no worries. You know, like Mm -hmm. you kind of have to take your losses, take your wins and you just got to roll with it. Um, And you can't take anything personally. So I was able to do a 30 day, unlimited trial where if you pay $37 for 30 days, if you love it, you move on to your founding rate of 149. If not, you leave. So that gave people the comfort Mm -hmm. of, she's not trying to sell me. She's trying to convince me and give me 30 days to see if I like it. And I move on, I move on. If I don't, she's not holding me to it. So I didn't like the idea of like bound contracts because I feel like there's so many things in such small writing. When you look at a membership agreement you're like, wait, you're telling me I got to give 60 days notice if I want to cancel that. What the hell? Like you don't want to have any like hidden messages because then people aren't going to trust you and they're not going to stay with you. So that was kind of a, a, some different things I had to really think on my feet with that type of startup. And every day was so exciting because I was out marketing at universities. I was out, you know, looking at my inbox and my email for different trainer hirees and every day was something different. And that's what made it so exciting. And that was pretty cool to get that experience there, which helped me lead to, I'm in a new place I've never lived in. I don't know anyone here, but my boyfriend, like, let's see what I can make of this. And I had visions in my head of what community building I wanted to do. And I always took with ever since I was 14, you know, that philosophy of make everybody feel like a somebody and making sure that you're your authentic self and energy is a currency. I was spending all my energy and time into this project. Um, so that way it was prepared for when these brand new clients came in. And these are clients that were overweight. These are clients that were athletes really in shape and everywhere in between average. Like we had to make sure that these workouts, some were very intense, 27 stations. Some of them were nine stations, like three laps around. So you have to make sure that everybody feels confident in what they're doing in the room. And we have to make sure that us as trainers are knowledgeable of the F45 franchise brand, the model, how these workouts are run every day, as well as your own personal training expertise of what type of options Aiden says are different ones than I say, but that way we learn from each other in the sense of, oh, I like what you did for that modification with her. If she has a knee injury, blah, blah, blah. Then I can take that information and help my other clients that I see that. So I view it as like one big teamwork project to build the community. It sounds like so when you worked at Orange Theory, you're of course a brain in the body behind the mic and mm-hmm. you commanded the floor. But with F45, you had to be more strategic, right? Because yeah. I feel like studio manager was an inadequate description for what you did. You should have been like general manager because you directed and you 
basically compose what the everything was all to be the the vision the recruitments the nitty-gritty the logistics yeah and also we will be more interested to hear about the, some strategic components of your position as the studio manager quote-unquote yeah i mean every day was it brought such a variety and i feel like each day i had to manage my time wisely because i was coaching six days a week on top of the managerial side of it. Head trainer is, you coach awesome classes, you are taking care of your other trainers and you're recruiting new intros, things like that. But the studio manager, you have to look at the budget. Are you reaching overhead? Are you in the black? Are you in the red? Like what's going on with the financial component of that? How are the sales going? How, what is the conversion conversion percentage of how many new intros to begin in this month, who did their two week trials, how many people bought, how many people didn't, how can we improve that? So every day was 12 hours, 14 hours a day of waking up at 4 a.m., coaching the first four classes of the day after mopping and cleaning and setting up the next workout of the day, getting everything ready. Then I would spend a normal eight hour day that normal humans do in the sense of, okay, now I need to look at Do I have any sales calls today? What is my Google calendar looking like? I would color code things. I would set reminders 20 minutes, 30 minutes before. Do I have a lunch meeting with somebody in New Zealand on Skype with the franchise at 45 where it's from in Australia? You know, am I talking to somebody in LA and are they going to ask me some hard edgy questions I need to be prepared for? So my role was definitely more than those titles. It was like you said, the composer of that gym's life from start to finish, whether clients were in there or not, I was making sure it was a well-run ship and it was seamless. And I did everything that I could for it. I don't think I could have done anything more. So Anna, it sounds like when you were opening the gym at four and then coaching for a four hour block and then doing all the analysis work for the gym, that's a long, long day. You know, if you're putting that much energy, not only into your classes, but also the business side of things. How are you preparing and or recovering for days like this? Because obviously burnout's a really big part of corporate America, corporate America just working in general. Uh, obviously, energy is something that's inherent to you as a person, but would you somehow cue yourself or do certain things after work of how to show up in those, uh, show up in those experiences, but then also recover afterwards? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it would depend on the day, it would depend on the week and my demands and different deadlines I had to reach. I tried to practice as much self-care as I could. Some things that I would do is take a long hot shower and just decompress. The warmth helped calm my nerves and my mind and my sore muscles, things like that. The other things I do is, I can't tell you how many cups of coffee I would have a day. Definitely addicted to caffeine, so that would help me power through those early mornings and late nights. So it kind of depended if I was waking up at 4 a.m. doing the earlier shift or if I was closing at night. And I would always try to do a workout a day and it's only gonna take 45 minutes to an hour. And that was a good moment for me to release my stress and my energy, whether it was excitement energy, we're getting close to opening or whether it was stress energy of, are we gonna be on budget this month? Are we gonna reach overhead? So there was just so many different variables that were running through my head nonstop unless I was asleep. So 
exercise. I live and breathe it. That's the best antidepressant I can offer anybody is find a movement that you love and to move every single day and to kind of switch up your routine. Don't always do the hard edgy workouts every day. Give yourself a break, do some yoga, do some stretching. So Sundays were a lot of my days where it'd be a lot of like remote work at home. I'd maybe go take like the strength class at the gym, but I wasn't actually on the coaching schedule Sundays, but Monday through Saturday I was. So usually after Saturday, our Hollywood classes with the DJ, music's pumping. I would find Saturday night to like recharge, relax, maybe go out and celebrate with some friends and family, maybe grab a quick like one night trip to New York City, things like that. I always try to reframe it of I can't work to the ground the rest of my life um, because like you said, burnout is so prevalent in our society and expectations are so high. So I try to like hit the brakes, take it a little bit easier. So coffee, showers, my own personal workouts, whether they were in the gym space or not, I'd even do some drop-ins elsewhere where people didn't know me and that helped me solely work out rather than being like, oh, Anna's in my workout class. Can you help me with my billing question? I wanna change the month I'm being billed every time. So that was always a distraction of, it's not my me time anymore if I'm in this space all the time. So creating separation from, from work was a good life balance. And the other thing is I always focus on breath work and a little bit of meditation. Even if you just go on Spotify, you look at meditative sounds and rhythms, you can do even like YouTube tutorials. There's an app called Headspace I use, which breaks it down into five minute intervals. And for beginners, it starts at like two or three minutes and it can increase to more to 10 minutes because you don't want to start a beginner with meditation too long of a time interval. They will literally fall asleep. You want to do it like shorter increments so that they, they can stay focused and truly absorbed into that meditative effort. So I try to meditate every other day, even just pockets of each day. It really only takes a couple minutes, less than five minutes to really set the tone and the pace for the rest of your day. So I like to do that when I wake up. And I also try not to snooze my alarm because if I set that alarm the night before, that's the time I need to get up. And if I start snoozing it, then I'm avoiding my life and I don't want to do that. So that's something that wake up, get up. Once you stand up and you're out of the covers, it's so warm and comfortable, but you just got to get up. You just got to go. You got to set the pace for the rest of your day. And whether you're going to work or you're going on vacation, set the pace. Your clients are needing you and you need yourself most importantly. So try to find pockets in your day, maybe midday. I didn't really take lunch breaks because I worked you know, straight through the 12, 14 hour days. I would eat a sandwich or a banana at my desk and and if I was coaching, I would snack in between like a granola bar or something, protein bar. So I wouldn't really sit down to eat unless it was like dinner. And I wouldn't eat breakfast that early because I'm not hungry. But yeah, I mean, just find pockets in the morning or at night. When people say they don't have time, that's just an excuse because we all have 24 hours. It's how are you committing to those 24 hours? How are you breaking it down? The other thing, the last thing that I do is... If I don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm really cranky and I feel like I'm so like slow motion during the day. So something that, and my friend Molly Brew did this in DC, she set monthly goals, monthly goals of little goals, like drink more water. Um, and she's a fitness coach as well. She did a little bit more meditation. She, it helps her with her anxiety and, and depression. And she tried to filter in these different habits that would help her in the long run. Each month it was like one or two things, so it's not too saturated. So one of the, I started doing that myself. So for October, I said less screen time. And then for November, I said more value on sleep. So as long as I'm not working a late shift where I'm coaching till 9 p.m. at night, I'm in bed by eight o'clock. And that gives me 
a set strict schedule of I'm going to put my phone down. It's plugged in. It'll, the alarm will go off at 345 tomorrow, but I'm in bed by eight because if I don't get my eight hours, then I'm not the best performance I can be for my clients when they're waking up at the same time. That's so well said because sleep is such a crucial part of everything and it really boils down to a matter of priorities. Are you Mm -hmm. gonna prioritize the sleep that ultimately drives the rest of your day? I have this conversation all the time of how do you get to the gym by six o'clock in the morning? It's well, I go to sleep at 8.30. Which sounds ludicrous, but at the end of the day, think about what normally goes on between 11 or nine o'clock and 11 o'clock. Generally, it's something that's relatively time-wasting, whether it's TV or screen time that really sets you up for not the day ahead that two hours of extra sleep will. And I love the fact that you said that you wake up on the first alarm every time because that's ultimately kind of a reframe that I had of that's a promise to yourself of you're going to wake up the next day. If you're waking up with six alarms, smashing the smooze button every time, you're ultimately, I mean, everyone has mornings like that. You know, you wake up kind of groggy. You're not as awake as that first time. So From what it sounds like, you kind of start your day with the intention of giving your full self to the day ahead. Yeah. Which ultimately comes down to sleep, right? Yeah, it does. I value sleep so much. And obviously when we were younger, we were like, can we stay up later? Like sleepovers? But no, this is like when you start to age and you're you're in, in full force adulthood, you have to put yourself first at the beginning and the end of the day so that you can provide for everybody else in the middle. And that's the bulk of it. And I, and I like that you go to bed earlier. Like some people look at that, like I could never do that. Well, you're probably distracted and you're being so stimulated by these screens that it's like, if you actually read a chapter a day and then you fell asleep, you would fall asleep a lot easier. Or even if you just do a little bit of meditation, maybe you don't like to read books. Um, and I'm not talking about a Kindle, like a book, like paper bound, read. I'm reading a lot more than I used to. I haven't always been a bookworm like my family has. My brother would read all the series. He'd always ask for books. My my dad used to work in printing. So we'd come home, he'd come home with all the Harry Potter releases like before they came out. And I was just like, nah, I don't like reading. I get bored. Like, I feel like I'm so boom, boom, boom. And I try to ping pong around. And obviously, you know, my energy level is at times a lot. So I feel like I couldn't just sit still and read a book in my free time, but I can, if I'm tired and I'm like about to go to bed, then that's when I'm like, set the environment that will work for you and you will Mm -hmm. be successful. So that, yeah, that, that definitely helps me out. Sleep is crucial. Totally crucial. It sounds like the macro of the power of your habits is intention and being intentional about your day to day, which we both fully agree and could uh, support on. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so you talked about most of your days are 14, 13 hour days, which are extremely long, which is more than what most people work in the United States, even, even this rampant and prevalent uh, burnout culture. So it sounds like you came into a 45 with already pretty fine and honed work ethics from working a lot from your, you know, from a rigorous college education, your experiences, your coaching, your regiments, all that, and all of these enable you to have embodied this this very impeccable work ethics, right? So what are some of the most like significant challenges in F45? Are those challenges presented in like a physical form or mental form? Because I think life's about mental, right? Life's a mental game. And of course, you are the general manager, the studio manager, the head coach of the F45, the space you've created, that you curated, I'd say. 
But of course, you have this owner that's above you. And how is that enemy like with the owner? And what are some of the challenges that manifest it in like a physical form or just a mental form? Yeah, that's a good question because everything is based off of that physical, mental, which creates the emotional challenges. Um, I think that physically I could stand up to the plate and really perform. Um, I was able to push through that. Mental fatigue was a big thing in 2019, early 2019. I just feel like I couldn't maintain that work ethic. I don't think anybody can for a year. I was there about a year. And there's just certain things where you just come into these disagreements and I don't even need recognition for what I've done. I just want to be appreciated and I wasn't appreciated. And I feel like I gave so much appreciation to everyone around me that I started losing myself in that mental headspace. And I started having this doubt of, Am I going to get through this day? Am I even going to grow in this type of position? Because I'm not trying to ladder up against anybody. I'm laddering up against myself. I view life as you versus you. So I'm always looking to level up for my own self. And I felt like there was this glass ceiling right above me that I couldn't get past because of so many different environments in that space that was so toxic. And... I ended up saying, you know what? I can't do it anymore. There was just too many variables that were against the well-being of this studio and it started to not be my space anymore. If you don't need me, I'm going to leave then. And that's when I made that decision to put in my two-week notice. So I think for a lot of listeners out there, and Aiden and I, we both experienced similar toxic environment, that negative headspace. So could you uh, deconstruct some of how that manifests in terms of in your life? Because energy is your currency. You, you, the mission statement they live by is providing energy, providing life for the all sources and everyone around you. But of course, when you're stuck in that space, that negative space, that toxic space, I'm sure your ability to illuminate light was hindered. And could you tell me about what the experience was like and maybe help other people out there who was on the fence of leaving finally taking that leap and leaving that negative space and what helps you to make that decision and you know some of the decision process that that enables you to make that transition absolutely ben i think the biggest thing that enabled me to make the final decision is if i didn't leave this position that i had once loved i was going to continue to break myself down to the core. It was going against all of my missions and values and I was losing myself. And I can't provide to my tribe, my community, if I can't even help my own self. So it got to the point where it was a lost cause. I was starting to lose myself. I was spiraling in this depression and I wasn't performing anymore and I wasn't, I was snoozing my alarm again. I wasn't on my normal path of self care. I didn't even give a shit about myself. I didn't, I started to dislike even the smallest like inconvenience that happened at work. Oh, the water fountain's not working. Like I would have a breakdown and I'm like, why am I explosively crying right now in this gym? Nobody's here right now, no one. But if you look on cameras, I'm like a disaster. I'm like a tornado, I'm a, I'm a wreck. And that's where it was my breaking point of, I started to hate everything that I loved. I started to hate my pursuit of my passion. So I had to leave. And it was, it was definitely the mental barrier of, I fought as hard as I could, and it wasn't going to improve with the circumstances I was under as a whole unit, 
not to blame any certain person, but it was just the, the whole idea of it, the whole environment, the whole stress of it. I was, I was done. I didn't even have time to commit to a different job after. And after I vented to my parents a lot about this every day, every weekend, I got a chance to talk to them. They're just like, you've saved a lot of money. You've been financially smart. You have no debt. Just quit. If you want to quit, let's see what happens. I quit May 31st. I left June 13th. Like that was it. And then I was able to have my weekends off. I was able to attend a family wedding in South Carolina that I wouldn't have been able to attend because my rigorous schedule, I missed Christmas. I missed Thanksgiving last year. Like I was in, I was trapped. So that was the biggest thing. And if you're listening here and it's not, it, I'm not saying leave your job if it's like eh, bad every once in a while, nothing's ever perfect. But if you realize across like three, five months, six months that you're like, I'm miserable, get out of there. You gotta go because you will come out on the other side. As long as you stay true to your missions and your values, if you're not lazy, you can't leave something if you're just like, I'm lazy, I can't do this work. But if it's a toxic environment, no matter what toxicity level it is and what type of that toxic environment is people, clients, whatever you have to leave because I came out so much stronger on the other side and I was able to get right back up on my feet and now I'm so much happier. So I found that happiness again and I'm so thankful that I did. Thank you for listening to another episode of discover more. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple podcasts and would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues. <laughs>